Good morning. How are we today? Fired up? Well, we'll see. Let's pray. Father, we, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, that you have so wisely instructed us. God, that you've given us your scripture, Lord, and many, many examples for life. And God, I pray that your word today would go into each one of our hearts, Lord, that we would, we would hear the words of the scripture and that it would be sown into us and that it would reap something good in us. Father, that seeds would be sown that transform our lives today. So Father, I pray you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our souls to absorb the life that comes from your word today. Lord, I pray you'd guide us today in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to begin by quoting uh, the Apostle Paul, one little line that he had to say that I appreciate so very much when he said these words, so we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. If anybody could talk about losing heart, I think Paul had plenty of opportunities to do that. When we look at his life, he was very challenged. And we often are challenged by life to lose heart along the way. What does it mean to lose heart? Well, let's look at the definition here. To begin to feel that one cannot do something that one has been trying to do. You lose your bearings. You set your sight out to do something and you begin to get the feeling that you're actually not going to accomplish it. To become discouraged. And this so often happens in life. We, we set our sights on a goal or an objective. We're going we're gonna to get somewhere. We're going to do something. We're going to accomplish something. But along the way, the journey gets hard. Somewhere in the messy middle, we lose sight and we lose bearings and we begin to despair and wonder if what we set out to do could ever actually be accomplished. Paul could have been like this. He could have gotten discouraged along the way. He had so many opportunities to. See, Paul understood very clearly what the mission of the gospel and the purposes and the direction of Christianity were. He knew what was the priorities were about what had to be done. And he set out on a journey to take the gospel to the world around him, to encourage and, 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 and get people into the kingdom. But he endured so many hardships along the way. <clears throat> in fact, he lists them out, some of them, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He gives us a big, long list of things that he's had to endure for the sake of the gospel. Let's look at some of them. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. You know what a lash might feel like, huh? How about receiving 39 of them five different times at the hands of the Jews who were his people, by the way? 39 times, 39 lashes each time, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Anyone ever been beaten with rods? No, your mom's little willow switch doesn't count as a rod. One of those times when Paul had been beaten with rods, I believe, I, I forgot to look it up, was it he and Barnabas or he and Silas? Which one? Were in the prison singing and the prison broke open for them. You remember that story? 
That, that night, they were sitting there. It says they were, it was in the night and they were singing. I'm sure part of the reason they were awake and singing is they probably couldn't get sleep because they'd just been beaten with rods that day and were sitting chained in prison. Just contemplate what that must be like. Once I was stoned, not in the modern marijuana culture version of the word stoned. This was a way they executed people. They threw rocks at them until they died, which would be a very uncomfortable experience, I'm sure. One time he was ministering in the city and the, the, some Jews from the surrounding area came and they stirred up the local people and they stoned Paul. And it says that they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I mean, you'd really have to get after it with some rocks to think that you killed somebody. And they drug his body out of, out of the city, and they left him there thinking that he was dead. But it says the disciples gathered around him, and he rose up and went back into the city. Paul went through that. What an amazing thing to have to endure and yet from the same man's mouth came those words, we do not, do not, do not lose heart. We do not get discouraged on the journey. We don't lose sight of what the purpose is. He's on frequent journeys. Oh, three times he was shipwrecked. We do read about one of those shipwrecks in the book of Acts. Three times he was shipwrecked. If that's not scary enough, he spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Can you imagine what that would be like? I would have a hard time not panicking if I were floating out in the ocean, but that's just me. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Paul suffered severe persecution from his own, from his own, from the people that he grew up with, the people he taught, the people he learned from. He suffered repeated persecution at their, from their hands. He talks oftentimes how he still longs for the Jews to come to Christ, his own kin, his own people, and yet he has been suffering from their persecution. What that must feel like, how discouraging that would be, how you would be tempted to lose heart and lose sight along the way. Danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I just appreciate Paul's vulnerability. He's saying, on top of all of the stress I feel about my mission, I'm also having to deal with all of these other things. And yet this same man said, we do not lose heart. It was his instruction to the church, and we're going to unpack some more of what Paul had to say about it. But he did not lose heart. And my challenge to you and my encouragement to you and to all of us and myself today is that we are a people who does not lose heart. We don't get discouraged along the way because we know how it ends. We know what happens. We know who wins. We don't lose heart and we don't lose sight because God has greater purpose in life. I want to tell you about somebody 
perhaps you've heard of him. His name is Admiral James Stockdale. Uh, if you, I think he was mentioned a couple of years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, I think is where it was, don't quote me on that, because he's a part of a book called From Good to Great, Good to Great, where we learn in businesses about how to take a business from being good to becoming great, and the author Jim Collins writes this book, and, and in the book he talks about uh, Admiral James Stockdale, and eventually what would be called the, the Stockdale Paradox, but I want to tell you the story of Admiral Stockdale because it pertains to this idea of not losing heart, and his paradox is very helpful. I think Paul understood it and lived it out very well. Stockdale was a naval pilot in Vietnam, and in 1965, his jet was shot down, and he was captured. Uh, Even the village he parachuted in, they descended upon him immediately, immediately and beat him very badly, and he was put in the Hanoi Hilton. Those of you that are familiar with the Vietnam era and war would know what that is. It was a prison camp. He became a prisoner of war. For nearly eight years, he was a prisoner of the North Vietnamese. Four of those years, he was in solitary confinement. He was the senior ranking officer among the POWs, and so he organized them. He would, they developed a code of communication through tapping And they even used the sweeping of their brooms as a code to communicate with one another. And Stockdale, they helped them develop a system. They'd be tortured. And they they would they developed a system of little mile markers along the torture that they before they could give up information because nobody can survive indefinite torture without just total mental breakdown. But these guys, he worked with the, the other prisoners to develop a system of how to endure the torture they were receiving. He got thrown in solitary confinement for four years, four years in a three-foot-by-six-foot solid concrete cell with no window, just a light bulb that was on 24-7. I want to talk about somebody who had the opportunity to lose heart and who knew what real suffering was. Admiral Stockdale was. He was tortured over 20 times. His legs were broken twice. Throughout his tortures, when he came back to the United States after he was freed, he couldn't stand upright and couldn't walk right, and he never could walk right from the torture he endured in Vietnam. While he was there, they were going to use him for some propaganda to show how well they were treating the soldiers, because it was a controversy about how poorly the POWs were being treated. So they were going to use him for the propaganda, and in order to prevent them from doing so, he took a razor blade and disfigured his face. And he took a stool and beat himself so badly they couldn't recognize him. Also that he wouldn't be used for propaganda for the war. What kind of tenacity, what kind of vision, what kind of courage did it take for him to do what he did in those circumstances? It's amazing. He didn't lose heart. So when Jim Collins goes to interview him and talk to him about his experience and as it pertains to his idea of uh, enduring transition from, uh, for businesses and things like that. Stockdale said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. And I just said, we know the end of the story. We know where we end up. We know how this goes. We know who wins. We trust who's in control. 
But Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said when I asked him, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience to the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. You wouldn't trade eight years in a prison camp and torture and broken bones and solitary confinement. You wouldn't trade that. He never lost sight. He never lost faith in the end of the story. The author of Jim Collins asked him, who didn't make it out? Who didn't make it through? Oh, that's easy, he said. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, I said, now completely confused, given what he'd said 100 meters earlier. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. Who didn't make it out? The ones, their hearts were broken with their expectations not being met. And then he he turns to Jim Collins and he said this, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So in light of holding a faith for what the end is, we've got to hold that all the time. That doesn't mean we, we, want, we, don't, we want to ignore the brutal facts of what we're in the middle of. We are somewhere in the messy middle in life. And we have so many opportunities to be discouraged and to lose heart. This became known as the Stockdale Paradox. It's a paradox because it's two things that almost sound conflicting. You hold faith for the end, but you confront the brutal facts of your reality in the meantime. Some people would use the saying, it's similar to this, to uh, expect the best and prepare for the worst, would be one of the versions of this kind of thinking. But Paul understood this too, I believe, and the scripture teaches us this. It never teaches us to pretend like we have it all together, or that life is going to be all roses And that there will be no suffering and no difficulty. In fact, quite the contrary, we're promised such things. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he's explaining some of these thoughts in other ways to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... What is the tent that he's talking about? He's talking about this life, this body, this world, this circumstance in which we find ourselves today. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. So we know that even when this ends, there's something more we look forward to. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's something that lasts forever that we are looking forward to. For in this tent we groan. I hear lots of groaning these days, groaning and moaning and lots of stuff. 
Why? Because it's difficult. Life can be challenging. Longing to put on our earthly dwelling. It would be nice to leave this mess behind and go on to the glory that God has promised, right? If indeed by putting it on, we may be not found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. While we're here, we're going to be burdened. It's part of our journey. We're broken. Creation is broken. It's part of this gospel story that we participate in. God is fixing the brokenness. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So it's not that we just get rid of all this because all of it is wrong. In fact, the the Scripture teaches us that our bodies will be redeemed, that there is a redemption coming. So we're, we're not putting this away because we don't need it. We're actually going to trade it in for a new and better one. Amen? Come on. Amen, Ben. That's right. Someday we get a new one. One that doesn't perish. One that isn't corrupted. So we be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I love that imagery. Our mortality, we're so confronted with it. Our mortality because of sin. Death came because of sin and we're confronted all the time with the weakness and the frailty that sin has produced on the earth. And yet we're looking forward to a day when the mortal is swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. We've been prepared for this. We can take confidence in the idea God is in this design. This is, we, God is preparing us for this very thing. The work that's going on in our lives, the way we're transforming, the way we're changing, the way we're growing in relationship with Him, the, even the sufferings that we're enduring. God is preparing us, and He's given us His Spirit as a guarantee. So encouraging. So we are always of good courage. Why are we always of good courage? Because we have this to look forward to. This goes away someday. These circumstances go away someday. This broken creation will be transformed someday. And because of that truth, even though we're in the messy middle that we're in today, we are always of good courage. We don't lose heart because we know the end of the story. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. While we're at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. Can you say those words? I am of good courage. I I trust God in this. I trust that he has these things in his hand. I trust that regardless of what happens, he will be on the throne. It reminds me of the passage in Psalms where where David talks about, though 10,000 fall at my right hand. You know, this idea that everything around me collapses. People, relationships, communities, nations, infrastructures, everything I know is my reality. If everything around me collapsed, could I still be of good courage knowing the fact that my God is on the throne? He is the king. He is in control. I will not lose courage regardless of what happens because of who he is, because I walk by faith, not by sight. Is that our testimony? Can we lay hold of that for our lives? Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You ever think like this? My wife doesn't like it when I think like this. 
It would be nice to be done sometimes and to go on to the glorious next. But we have work here to do while we're here. We have lives that are meant to be lived, but we do look forward to the day that we leave it behind and we go on to glory. And that's what Paul's talking about. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This, this, this jumps out at me. Whether I'm here, whatever I'm doing, whatever's going on, I've, I'm walking by this faith, I'm making it my aim to please him with my life. I don't lose courage in all these circumstances and all the tortures and all the difficult things that have gone on in Paul's life. He still, along with the people that he was with, made it their aim to please no one else but God. Not themselves, not the people around them necessarily, not the communities they found themselves in. They didn't cave in to any of it. They made it their aim to please God. And it's a really important thing for us to ask ourselves today. Is it our aim to please God? In the decisions that I make, in the words that I speak, in the attitudes I take on, in the things that I communicate with my friends, in the way that I treat my loved ones or my not-so-loved ones, in all of those things, is it my aim to please God? Is he the one I'm aiming to please? Or is it me? Or is it my fear of somebody else so I'm aiming to please them? See, we can't lose sight of what the most important thing in everything is, is him alone. He is the point. Above all other things, we make it our aim to please him. He goes on to say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're in a, we, we recognize that someday we will leave this life behind and there will be an accounting, a reckoning. We will stand before God and we will answer for what we have done in our lives. And so often this is a sobering reality when I when I want to take up something that's not the gospel and make it my priority, something that's not of God and make it the most important thing in my life, make it the thing I'm willing to break relationship with others over and be mean to others about. I take up these things. Rather than pleasing, aiming to please God, I'm just trying to please something in myself. But when I hold those things up to the Scripture and I hold them up to God, they don't pass the test. Is it pleasing to God? Am I aiming to please God? Because I will give an account for the things that I've chosen to do that were displeasing to God. And we're in a situation right now where we have lots of things vying for our attention, our emotion, our input, our investment. We're, we're pouring ourselves into different things because things feel tense and we want to fix things. And so we pour ourselves into solutions of whatever we think they are. But in doing so, we have to be so very aware that our ultimate aim must be to please God. There is nothing else that we can put our hope in. I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 11 Sometimes we call it the faith chapter. Because Paul, uh, I'm sorry, not Paul, whoever the author of Hebrews was, is talking about all of these heroes of the faith. 
People that had lived by faith, beginning with Abraham. Not even necessarily with Abraham. Talking about Abel's sacrifice, things like that. All these people that lived by faith. And then it gets to the end and says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Could you live with that idea yourself? Promises that you feel like God has made to you. Things that you believe about God that you, you hope occur in your lifetime. These people lived by faith and never saw the fulfillment of the promise in their lifetime. But they still lived for God. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, they came to realize by faith that this was not their home, that they weren't living in the fullness of the promise, that God was working something out for those who believe. For people who, thus, who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. That wasn't where their hope was. It wasn't where their faith was. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Them, those that live by faith, those that even see it from afar, setting your sights on the end, when we're in the middle, we lose heart sometimes because we lose our way. We're, we, 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 you know, we gave our lives to Christ and we believed something about our future, or, you know, that God was going to guide us. We get, suddenly life gets difficult partway through and we lose heart. We lose our bearings. We get stuck in the mud and we get focused on our circumstances and we lose the big picture and we become discouraged. That can happen in life as a whole. Our, your actual life is in the middle. It's between, it's between the fall of man and the resurrection of man. You're somewhere in the middle right now. Can you see the end? Do you have faith for the end? Does that inform your courage and your keeping heart for today to endure the trials and the tribulations and the challenges that you are facing Paul said for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God now when Paul was talking about sufferings we are talking seriously legit suffering and yet, even in his own mind, he didn't think they were even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Not even worth comparing. I think about this when I think of age. You know, and a lot, probably most of you can relate to this. When I was 13, 14, 15, 20 years old was an eternity away. It was going to be forever before I was out of the house, right? You remember those years? And your parents said things like, you're going to blink your eye and high school is going to be gone. Yeah, right. That's four years. That's forever. And then you get in your 20s and you look back and you're like, wow, that was fast. And right, I'm in my 40s now and I'm going, I ain't going to be around forever. I don't have forever anymore. It's going very, very quickly. Very quickly. And don't you sometimes wish you could go back and talk to that 15-year-old you and say, this is going to go really quick. 
let me help you with some decisions. Let me encourage you. And we do that with young people. We get older and we turn to a younger generation and, you know, we have experience and we have wisdom and and they haven't gone through it yet and you're trying to help them see a better perspective because they don't don't see the end. But then you look forward and I look at an elderly person and I, I listen to my dad a lot better now than I did when I was 15, I can tell you that. You know, you've seen those jokes like when I was... When I was uh, five, my dad was the smartest man in the world. By the time I was 18, he was the dumbest man in the world. And by the time I was 30, he was the smartest man in the world again. It's amazing how that works. Because of experience, and you, you look to the generation ahead of you, and they have a way of seeing the big picture in a way that you're in the middle and you can't. And life is like that. God's like the adult, and we're like the little kid who can't comprehend actually growing up. And actually leaving this behind and going on to what God has prepared. And yet he encourages us, don't lose heart. Your priorities changed as you were growing up, didn't they? The things you were such a big deal when you were a kid or a young adult, and they change. And you get bigger picture and more perspective. And the things that once mattered don't matter anymore. And you know what? Someday you're going to stand on the other side of the pearly gates and you're going to look back at this time and go, why didn't I? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. I can't theologically prove that. But it's just like looking, at it, looking back at your childhood and going, yeah, there are other things I could have done differently growing up, other decisions I could have made. Because we'll look back from a different perspective, a more mature perspective. Don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Why? We know the end. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. See, we get in these circumstances where all we can see is what is immediately around us. And it's pounding on us. You know, and so we, we want to put our trust in our own intellect. We want to put trust in our own opinions. We want to put trust in our princes, our politicians, thinking it's going to fix the problem. There is no man that can fix the real problem. There is only one, only one, the Lord. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than any man. There's only one who can save our community. There's only one who can change the world. There's only one who can save the people. It's God himself. He is our focus. He is the one we aim to please. He is the one whose sights we are set upon. He's the one who matters. I love history. I love reading history. I like studying history. I like learning about history. Now, I didn't when I was a kid, but I do now. Because there's so much wisdom in history. There's so much we can learn by looking at what has gone on in mankind as, as history has gone on. I was thinking about major moments that no one saw coming, no one knew. I thought of Pearl Harbor on December 6th. Nobody had any idea, obviously the Japanese did, but nobody in the United States didn't knew that they were about to be attacked. And the whole world changed in a moment, for Americans anyway. It changed in an instant in that one moment in time. 
I think of all the nations, the, the Roman Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, all of these, you know, the Greek Empire, and how they changed and they rose and they fell. And they, there was good and there was evil. And there were people that had, they, they had no idea what was coming, and yet these things happened. And if the whole world falls apart around us, where will our hope be? Who will our hope be? It won't be any man. It won't be any government. It won't be any ideology. It will be the Lord. He is our hope. He is our refuge. He's the one we aim to please. If we want to be the people that keep the heart, keep heart and keep the courage and don't get stuck in the muddy, messy, mucky middle of things, we have to set our sights on him. That's what Paul did. That's why Paul could get up after being stoned and left for dead and go back into the city and go on. And in the end of his days, he told Timothy this, I have finished the race. I've run it. I've run that race. I endured to the end. Even now I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He gave his life for this gospel in many different nations, in many different contexts. He gave it all for God and ultimately was beheaded. James chapter 4, verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You don't know what tomorrow will bring, and we don't. And so we have to evaluate in our own lives and context the way we're making decisions and the way we're living is it pleasing to God? Is it set on the end? Do, do we have faith that God is actually on the throne? That this does work out according to his plan? Those kinds of things. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. When I was younger, I, when I was a kid, I, thought, I always thought of it in terms of like, if I could torture you for 30 seconds and then you would spend the rest of your life living the most wonderful life, would you do it? Of course, the answer to that question would be yes. I'll endure 30 seconds of pain to have any, the rest of my life be awesome. Well, that's what this life is like compared to eternity. How do I measure eternity? I can't. And so if this is eternity, because <laughs> I can't measure it, then this is your life in that timeline. It's a millimeter on an infinite scale. Shouldn't we, can't we, should we encourage ourselves then to maintain our vision on an eternal God who loves us? I want to wrap up with this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right before the tent talk that we, we just discussed, Paul said this. I think it really summarizes the heart of, of today's message. So we do not lose heart. That's where we begin. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that's true. Our outer self is wasting away. From the day we're born, we begin a journey towards death. But it's more than that. It's, it's reflected of the whole system. All of this creation, all of it is wasting away. The whole thing. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Light? Right. How light has it been for you? 
<laughs> but that's what Paul calls it because he's, he's bringing it into context and comparing it with a bigger reality. So even for all the things that he's suffered so far, he's calling them light and momentary afflictions. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are seen are transient. They're going away. They're moving on. COVID is transient. The political climate is transient. Everything you're dealing, you know, maybe you just, you're facing some challenges in life. They're transient. It all goes away. It all ends. It's short. It's a vapor. Easier said than done, right? It is very difficult. What is seen is transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We are playing an eternal game. It's not, even, it's not a game. But it's, it's not just a moment. This is, there's an eternal, uh, an eternal component here that we must always keep right in front of us so we don't lose heart. So when we're getting sucked into the circumstances and being crushed by the circumstances, we still can testify just like Paul did. We don't lose heart heart, and here's why, the Lord. I hope you're provoked and encouraged today to put on these glasses that I'm talking about, the way of seeing things from a bigger point of view, to look for God and evaluate based on whether or not we're pleasing God and making decisions based on eternity. Would you stand, please? And I'll pray. We'll wrap it up. Lord, again, we do thank you for your word. And God, I pray that each one of us, those of us who have kind of lost heart along the way, gotten discouraged and stuck and just staring at the circumstances going, what in the world (laughs) is going on? That God, you would help us to regain our courage and regain our bearings for those that have struggled. Lord, and to set our sights on the the good things, Lord, that you want us setting our sights on the actions you are wanting us to take that line up with your word. God, that the, the heart that you have in all of this for your people. God, encourage and strengthen each one, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.